with the cyber liability, there's very few case law details right now because it's such a new concept. So we're really seeing this case law start to shape how this is going to look in the future. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I am Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Chantal Reese, who is a business insurance broker for Reese and Reese Insurance Services, Inc. And she's a Walnut Creek Chamber board member and fantasy football expert. How are you, Chantal? I'm wonderful. How are you today? I am doing well. I had kind of a crazy day. I have my first prospect slash lead, you know, whatever you want to call people who aren't working with you yet. I have my first in-person meeting in 10 weeks with a client today. Wow. So wore my mask and everything. I know it's a good time. Yeah, it's a bit different than it was 10 weeks ago. <laughs> I know. I mean, we didn't have that many in-person meetings anyway because we're a remote company, but... It's somebody local, so we wanted to go chat, and they wanted to see somebody in person, so it was fun. Get out of the house, you know? Absolutely. So our topic today is cyber liability. I know that is a topic that just people do not want to talk about most of the time. But you and I had spoken previous to this, and I had mentioned that on my Things to Look For in 2020 podcast, which was on January 1st, I said cybercrime and phishing is going to be madhouse this year, and it's something that people need to look out for, data security and that kind of stuff. And so this is actually pretty timely because it looks like that's actually come true. And so cyber liability is a term most business owners aren't really aware of. Do you want to explain what that is? Absolutely, yes. So the insurance companies have created policies to deal with three different types of situations. One is a data breach, which can be over the computer or it can be paper form as well. Also, the information ransom, so taking away the hard drive and requesting a ransom payment for that to be returned. And then also cyber deception, where potentially an owner of a company, there's a fake email that comes from the said owner, and it's not real, and the employee does something to give them money or, or information. So there was a story about that that we had actually talked about on that same podcast I was telling you about in January, where someone had sent an email that looked like it came from the CEO and it went to the CFO and said, we have to, there's some problem with, I don't know what it was, supply chain problem or something. We need you to wire $200,000 to this account. And then he did it. And then after that went through, another email came in for another 200000 and he was like, oh, that's weird. So he called and he's like, do you really need another 200000 And the guy's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So he just wired off money to someone in some random country. And there have been a lot of attacks since the start of COVID. It's really uh, picked up. It certainly has. It certainly has. Um, in multiple fashions. I mean, those types of emails that you're describing, also the phishing emails have been up quite a bit. And... You know, we, we found even without coronavirus, the amount of people who were breached and affected by identity fraud was a 300% increase from 2018 to 2019. So even before this pandemic, we were seeing massive increases at that time. Phishing emails are like when somebody's trying to get information out of you by pretending to be someone else like Amazon or your bank or FedEx is one that happens a lot. FedEx, UPS, DHL payroll services. 
They're trying to pretend that they're your bank and they're just trying to get your password, right? So that they can log in and do something, take your money. Absolutely. Something that we had talked about that I was not aware of was exclusions in cyber liability policies. Do you want to talk about what an exclusion is? Yes. So most standard commercial general liability policies that most everyone who's in business has one, they exclude data breach, which means that you can turn in a claim and it will not be covered if there's an exclusion that exists on the policy. So we started seeing that shortly after the target data breach, because that was one of the largest ones to come down the pipeline in 2013. So once those exclusions happened, the insurance industry came up with the cyber liability policy to satisfy that exclusion. And so what would be an example of an exclusion? Within the cyber liability policy itself? Yeah. One of the big exclusions is terrorism, which cyber terrorism is a real thing these days with you know, governments and, and things of that nature. We have an attorney that we work with and he explained that he had to go to court and fight for the cyber liability policy to cover a form of the terrorism because they had basically morphed it into pretending as if it was a piece of terrorism when it really wasn't. So with insurance, there's different gray areas that are figured out in court. And then with the cyber liability, there's very few case law details right now because it's such a new concept. So we're really seeing this case law start to shape how this is going to look in the future. But at this time, there's not a lot of exclusions. There's not a lot of high premiums right now. I mean, if you're a very high risk industry, like a tech company, and you're asking for a $5 million policy, you're of course going to be paying quite a bit more. But at this time, we're still seeing pretty reasonable premiums, which is good for, for the consumer. About 60% of small businesses that get hacked end up going out of business in the first year. So how does cyber liability insurance prevent them from going out of business? Well, cyber liability covers a range of different items within the policy. So we already spoke about the data breach, the information ransom, and the cyber deception. But also, once the policy kicks in, you're going to get coverage for the response to what happened. So the forensics, the PR, the attorneys, the penalties, all of that is going to be covered. And so we see most of the businesses that are affected, the penalties are one of the biggest costs. Second to that is the defense costs once you have to go to court, because a lot of people are going to be coming out of the woodwork to sue, you know, if they've been out money or their information's been captured by hackers. So they're looking to be compensated for that. That helps to make sure that they're not coming out of pocket. So it helps keep them in business. So we looked at some of the data that you have on the insurance side, and they had said that the average was something like $779 per record leaked was the cost. It's a lot of money. That will also depend on what type of data is breached. So if we're talking about personal identifiable information, which is the example you just gave, but even more so is medical information, that's worth four times as much on the black market. So it is highly targeted and much more expensive to deal with if you have a, a medical or HIPAA type of a breach. Right. HIPAA is pretty serious. You know, we have some clients that deal with HIPAA compliance. And I would say that most small businesses that are in the medical field don't have the technical knowledge to even understand what HIPAA compliance means. You know, they're like, okay, I'm going to get a HIPAA compliant email or something, right? But there's also record storage and, and all that kind of stuff. So you had mentioned forensics. 
And that's a term that people probably associate mostly with like crime TV, you know, CSI. Like, <laughs> CSI Miami, and they're not exactly like computer crime forensics, right? But there is forensic companies like Kevin Mitnick is like the world's most famous hacker, and he runs a cyber forensics company. And they also do breach testing and stress testing and stuff like that. So if you have a larger company, you can hire a company like Kevin Mitnick's company to try to break into your servers or get your data so that you could find out ways that you can secure it from hack attempts. If you're a small business, you only have a couple choices to secure stuff. One of them is get a local, you know, IT person, IT contractor to get you a solid firewall, something that does threat protection or threat assessment. You want something that where your data has encryption protection. So if it gets encrypted and somebody's trying to ransom it for Bitcoin or something that you have an unencryptable version that you can get back or at least backups that are offsite. So you can get your data back without having to pay somebody. And the other side of small business is definitely the education piece. So teaching your employees not to, a lot of people are working from home right now and they're working on their personal equipment, which is bad news for security. So they should be using a VPN or something to get in. That's a virtual private network. Get an IT person to set that up if you don't know what it is. They should be using secure company equipment because the worst thing that you want to have happen, I'll give you an example. Say I got a house with three or four computers in it because they got a couple teenage kids or something too, right? So, you know, your parents each have a laptop or whatever, and the kids might have one. One of the kids' laptops gets hacked, which lets somebody into the network that's in your house, and you're doing work without a virtual private network, then they could get into the company through your house, through your work computer or your own personal computer you're using to get to work, and then do something with the data. And then when they go through the forensic process, it points the finger back at you. And you don't want to be on the end of that conversation in the future. That is exactly right. We found the statistics show about half of the hacks were from remote access. So that can mean from your example, or maybe somebody goes to a coffee shop and they don't have a VPN and they get onto the local Wi-Fi there. That's a direct conduit right into your system. I know a little bit about the hacking world because I'm from the IT world. I have an IT background and information systems background and it is amazingly easy to hack most people's systems and it's done in ways that you wouldn't think. So everybody thinks, oh, my computer is really secure. Somebody is trying to like knock on the door to get in my computer and figure out what the password is, which is totally not the case. What usually happens is, so if you use the coffee shop as an example, I can go in, turn on the Wi-Fi for my computer so that it pretends to be a hotspot and I can name it Google Starbucks connection or whatever. That is the same name as whatever the router there is. And then when somebody tries to log in, I guess Starbucks isn't a good example because there's no login for it. But anyways, let's just say there is. You can spoof that page. So you can duplicate the page that you would get if you went to Starbucks Wi-Fi, make a copy of that page, and then give people access to the internet so they're not any of the wiser. They think they're on, this, on the Google Starbucks one. And then they use what's called a key logger. And a key logger makes a log file that records every single keystroke and click that you make on the computer. So when you go log into your work, they get your login and your password because it records all the keys that you typed. Another way that they can do it, phishing emails is, is something that people think is pretty complicated, but it's super easy. It's called spoofing. So you would spoof the email address that an email is coming from 
to say that it's the name of your company or maybe it's like one letter off. So say your company has the letter L in the name, they could put a capital I or something in a URL and make it look like it's exactly the same name as your company that it came from or that the URL is going to and says, go here and fix something. It's usually something innocuous, right? Like log in to, you know, update your PowerPoint or something like that. And then they get your login and they use that to get in the system. There's all kinds of ways to do it. I've even seen in a company in Canada several years ago, they basically took viruses that would or malware that would allow them to get remote access into a company. And they put them on flash drives that had games on them. And they just dropped the flash drives in the parking lot. And somebody would pick it up, plug it into their computer to see what's on it. See, there's a game on it. Install a game, which installs the remote access malware. And then... Hackers can get into their computer. So I've heard of that as well. All kinds of stuff like that that can happen. And those are just kind of some random examples off the top of my head. So if somebody has cyber liability insurance and there is some kind of breach, what is like the first steps that they would do? Notification is a very big part of the policy and there are certain conditions that need to be followed. So um, dealing with, you know, shutting down the network immediately, things of that nature. So there's there's very specific details and step-by-step instructions within the policy itself. It's a little too much to get into now, but but once the policy is quoted, there's access to all that documentation to see exactly what would be required. So your insurer would give you a process of what is supposed to happen? Yes. You can give that to your IT staff or whoever's in charge of your computers? Right. So that's if you're a small business, that might be an IT company, like a remote company. So do you guys insure companies all over the United States? Are you specific to California or? We do have within our partnership with Orrin Associates, there are agents throughout the U.S. I specialize in California. So if somebody wants cyber liability policy, how's the best way for them to contact you? It's real easy. You can go to my website. There's a contact page. My website is mycacoverage.com and there's a contact page there or a phone number email as well if you'd like to use either of those. Perfect. And I'll put that link in the show notes too. You can get the show notes by going to hookseo.com slash podcast. Chantal, Chantal, sorry, I keep mispronouncing your name. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on. I know that this is not something that business owners really want to talk about, but it's so important right now. And I mean, people are losing their companies. So if you don't want to lose your company, talk to Chantal. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.